Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher. Just two techies constantly sifting through an ocean of news feeds, separated by a giant ocean, talking cloud, comic book series, and technology. I'm Dan Usher, and this is episode 9, recorded on 1 April 2015. Did you hear Microsoft released this uh, new fake device today? It's called the Surface. Well, you know, they keep uh, they keep releasing these different things called Surface Hub, Surface Pro, Surface RT, just Surface. So this Surface this morning, log open to Twitter, log open. There we go. That's a new term. Open up Twitter, see a flurry of different things about how wonderful the Surface 3 is and how... It will revolutionize, you know, things. And I think to some extent it might actually revolutionize uh, or at least give Apple a reason to innovate um, since the price point is about the same as what a decent iPad is. Uh, But the one thing that at least made me kind of scratch my head was, where's the TPM? Um, How am I supposed to use this as a business person? What if this... What if someone takes this and runs off with it? And so you may have seen this, but the Surface Twitter account actually replied and said it has a software TPM, which can only lead me to believe that it really doesn't have a TPM. So, yeah, it's interesting because you work for that small, small business of 25,000 employees, Um, you you know, but for somebody who's running around with... uh, five or six employees, which tends to be kind of the norm out here where we are, uh, or at least where I am, um, small business is um, something crazy, like 97% of the businesses uh, in Australia. So to, to go through and do that, um, if you're just running around with a couple of folks, um, yeah, if, if you don't have internal IT and all those things, uh, TPM and BitLocker and all that stuff, it's, it's probably not your first concern. Um, you know, I was out at the uh, Office uh, 365 Summit earlier this week um, to go through and, and hear some of the latest and greatest and, and newest things that they have going on in that space. Um, and, you know, I can see a lot of organizations, if you're small enough and you don't need any of the on-premises infrastructure or things like that, you could be pretty darn secure just storing all your stuff in the cloud. And, and um, I think that'll be uh, good enough. Uh, for a lot of smaller organizations, uh, again, they're they're tiny bit smaller than yours, um, but you know, d- different strokes for different folks and all that. Yeah, I guess kind of my thought though is still <clears throat> you're going to end up having folks uh, taking their cute little laptop, or in this case, their Surface Three. They're going to leave it on the Starbucks table or whatever coffee shop. They're going to wander off. They're going to go to the bathroom, go get a newspaper, go hit on someone go get mugged you know they're gonna they're gonna do something and then they're gonna turn around they're gonna walk back and they're gonna wonder where the heck their surface 3 went similar to the guy that walks off and wonders why their macbook air isn't there when they return but um i guess just you know in this quote-unquote age of everybody worrying about losing data it's just a little surprising to me that a cute little product like this would uh, not have such a little uh, tpm module built in but then again, uh, you know, doing a little bit of research and uh, whatnot before the show, uh, looks like nobody really uses TPMs when it comes to atom processors. So, 
Um, well, the, the, they are meant to be low cost, so maybe there's some licensing issue or something there if they include it. Or really, what they probably want to drive is uh, folks more into those uh, prosumer or enterprise grade offerings, right? So there's a reason that there's a Surface and there's a Surface Pro, um, kind of like Visual Studio or Office or really anything that's out there, right? We, t we tend to have multiple, multiple verticals in there and, and all sorts of different chunks. And, and they're definitely targeted at different markets. You know, I could see people being pretty excited about this thing and saying, uh, hey, great, let's throw it out there. And, um, you know, maybe it's a, a great gift for um, kids about to head off to college or things like that. Um, you know, or if you, or if you just need something for around the house to, to keep in the kitchen, you are getting into that, um, like you said, iPad pricing territory, uh, and, and you do get this, this full windows device. Um, part of the problem, at least for me is going to be that it's still a windows device. Um, so you've got to go out and still, you know, you, you're going to get the surface for 499, but then you still need to go buy a keyboard and do all these other things. So that, that's going to be a little bit more money. And now it's a different size again. And it's, you know, you know it's what, 10.8 inches versus the 12 of the Surface Pros. The, the panel's not quite as dense. So, um, you know, you've got the 1080p panel, but you've got the really high resolution one on the Pros, things like that. Uh, so, so, and then you're still stuck. Again, it's, it's Windows on a touchscreen device which isn't a great experience. So now you've got to go and still buy all these additional things um, just to make it work and not be uh, really janky and, and everything else. I still don't know, like I can't give my parents a Surface and say, here you go, run with it. Uh, I tried to do that and uh, they're on iPhones and iPads and all that stuff because it was just way easier for them to do. So Microsoft certainly has some work to do there. Uh, we'll see what happens. We just had a new fast track build uh, for Windows 10 come out. So uh, build 10049, uh, that dropped. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to install it yet. It took forever to install um, on my DVA, and it took forever to install uh, in a couple of VMs I have as well. Uh, and then it broke a bunch of uh, stuff along the way. So stuff that didn't break in the 10041 build for me, like mail and people in calendars, all of a sudden all that stuff blew up um, in 10049. So had to go and uh, fire off some PowerShell and, and fix all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I look at things like that and where that's going, it's, it's just got a bunch of issues. And then they're saying that's going to be ready by summer. Um, so I'm not sure that that's going to solve the world's ills either, um, at least when it comes to some of the usability and other things that are going on in that area. So I think uh, Tom Rezing, he, uh, he tweeted something out from the Blogging Windows blog, um, basically stating that uh, <laughs> while we did fix a lot of things, you may want to slow down you know, your release, um, especially if you're running it inside of a, uh, uh, well, let's see, uh, especially if you're hosting it, I guess, in a VM. Um, I know for me, I through a copy uh, actually downloaded a copy yesterday with the 141 build um, <clears throat> and you're right it took forever for the 149 build to actually install uh, Spartan is there but it seems like it likes to crash just a bit yep just about every five minutes on cue yeah uh, so they've got some things to work out there but you know it's uh, is what it is it's beta software it's not meant to be 
100% ready to release. Um, actually, it's probably alpha software at this point, but, you know, at least uh, it looks pretty, I guess. Um, so there's one comment here uh, in the, here are some known issues for this build. The, yeah, geez, they don't even know how to count. What's up with this? There are two issues using Visual Studio 2015 preview on this build, and then the third issue. Um, if you're a developer using these tools to today to develop Windows Universal apps and need this functionality to work, we recommend switching to the slow ring until we release a patch to fix these issues. So pretty much uh, if you're a Windows 10 developer, you may want to actually go into the uh, PC settings and switch how quick you get the builds. So uh, if you do, do go to the quote-unquote slow ring, you will hopefully get more patches that way. Yeah, it's uh, we had some presenters at um, Office 365 Summit who uh, were running this kind of latest and greatest tooling and multiple versions of Visual Studio and things like that. So some of the developer sessions, they had to kind of couch them and walk in and say, okay, here's what we're doing because we're on these uh, uh, really latest and greatest builds. Um, here's what's broken, here's what doesn't work, here's what does work. I think part of the problem is, uh, you know, the cadence and what it's at, it, it, it's great. I, you know, I'd like to, this is nice. They're, they're fast, they're moving along. Um, they just have these major, major breakages that don't fix the things that were broken before and then they introduce more. Um, you, you know, it kind of feels a, a little bit like some of the Apple software stuff to, sometimes, you know, where you've got this like, planned obsolescence. So let's just make it harder and harder and harder and more broken and broken and broken um, until people don't use it. So, you know, at some point they've got to stop and stabilize this and say, okay, we're ready to release. So if they're really targeting the summer, you know, does that mean June, July, um, even August? That's only a couple months away. To, so to go gold and um, RTM this these bits and get that out there, they, they've got to stop soon. And it's really rough. I mean, you've got to try it out on a couple different devices. Uh, so I know you said you were trying it out in um, uh, some VMs and things like that. But uh, I'd say go ahead and try it out on a, on a tablet and, and see if you like it, uh, the touch experience and, and all those other things. Because it's, uh, it's different. It's the same. It's broken. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's rough. Mm. Well, hopefully... Uh... Hopefully it'll get better soon. Uh, I know a lot of folks are super excited about uh, this uh, the Spartan browser, and hopefully it will give Chrome and Firefox a run for their money. But in the short term, seems... <laughs> maybe. But it's it's that weird thing again, right? We still have two browsers. This is like having IE for desktop and IE for modern. I I think this is just more confusion, right? So IE is still going to be there and Spartan's going to be there. So which one are you going to use? Really, what's the use case for saying, well, like what's going to be default when the, when the sucker RTMs? Is it going to be Spartan? They're putting all this work into it. If you put the work into it, then hell, it, it should be Spartan. Like IE should be a download. Um, you know, if this is going to be wave of the future kind of stuff, but they just can't seem uh, to, to get away from that. So you know, IE is marching along and it has all these great new things coming into it. I don't know if you've seen all the uh, like enterprise sites tooling that's built into um, IE 11 and the different target modes and go ahead and, you know, it's meant to be, hey, you've got these legacy systems in your organization. Great. Let's move up to the latest and greatest, adopt IE 11. And uh, really, we don't have to worry about compatibility, any mode, compatibility mode anymore. 
we've got this new enterprise sites things. Let's let that push through and, and actually um, help out with some of the rendering and engine and, and tooling and things. Um, and then at the same time, you're going to have Spartan just sitting there going like, <laughs> what do I use this thing for? Because it, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I never, um, uh, I never use that modern um, IE because it's just so hard to use on a, on a Windows anything device where you've got that mix of the desktop and everything else. It just gets confusing because at some point you end up over in the desktop one. So um, again, one of, one of those interesting things. It'll be uh, neat to see where they go with it. Yeah, speaking of uh, you know, kind of seeing where they're going to go with things, um, I guess this was last Thursday, uh, Microsoft released the, uh, what is this, the AD Connect Preview 2. So I think last week we talked about how there were four different toolings out there right now, how we could go and use DirSync, we could use Azure Active Directory Sync, we could use Azure AD Connect, we could go use FIM. Um, so they released AD Connect Preview 2. Um, <clears throat> I downloaded this, played with it. Uh, it's very reminiscent of the Azure AD Connect um, that was out there that you could go download. Uh, but they added in a couple more little tooling things that were, I guess, some of the refinements that we were expecting in the AD Connect that weren't there, um, primarily, at least from my perspective, <clears throat> the ability to go and sync just a group, um, which to me is a little bit uh, backwards. I know in the past, um, whenever we were doing these transformations or these projections of user accounts, we would go in and we would select like an OU and we'd filter on that OU. Um, you can still go do that through the FIM backend of Azure AD Connect, but they have this ability now where you basically go in and you select a target group. So like a actual AD security group, um, which just, I don't know, it just seems a little backwards to me. It seems like they're getting a little bit away from uh, what they should be doing. Uh, one of the other things um, I know... We had always talked about, you know, how are they going to do projections of Azure AD back into our on-premises uh, Active Directories? And one of the things they seem to have added in is this ability to do a projection of uh, a quote-unquote uh, Office 365 group. So that weird thing that, you know, crosses the boundaries of uh, kind of your, your distribution list and your uh, SharePoint site collection, um, they've gone through and they've made it possible to write those back as just a, a distribution group back on your on-prem AD. Um, seems odd to me that they're not doing it as a security group that's email enabled, um, but I guess uh, there's something afoot in the way that they're doing identity up in Office 365 that we just uh, probably won't understand. But there's a ton more information out in that blog article. Definitely suggest if you get a chance, uh, check it out. Yeah, so the, the tooling's pretty interesting, right? Um, so, so the group matching that you mentioned, um, it, it's not so much group matching as it is uh, just matching a DN. So it's meant, it's meant to be the old OU and group matching, just combine it all together. So you don't need to go into FIM anymore to mess with it. Uh, you, you actually shouldn't. Uh, you should be going into that new synchronization rule editor uh, which exists in that tooling and AAD sync to, to go ahead and uh, move those pieces around and make them do what they need to do. Uh, so it's actually, it, it's really neat functionality, especially if you're talking about uh, standing up those uh, in, initial proof of concept environments and 
and, and doing those kind of things. And it also solves one of those really big ills of that little checkbox at the very end that says, let's go ahead and do a synchronization right now is checked by default. So, you know, in the past we used to tell people, or at least I did all the time, um, let's go ahead and uncheck that checkbox before we do a sync because we have to go do all these other configurations. So now that that's built straight into the wizard, um, it makes things quite a bit simpler. Um, it's also adapted, like you said, all the right back support. So uh, it now has the inclusions for um, uh, the attribute right back for, and uh, it includes like the, the password right back and, and things like that. Um, so I think one of the things, uh, I, I went out and saw um, Paul Andrew deliver um, some demos at this at Summit. Um, and one of the big confusion points in there is uh, a lot of these features and functionality, uh, all, like all the right back support from Azure AD, uh, requires premium skewing. Um, so as it stands today, if you go out to Azure and you look and you say, show me Azure AD pricing, uh, there's free, there's basic, and there's premium. Um, and there's kind of a column that's missing in there, which is um, what does being in an Office 365 eSKU give me? Because an eSKU in Office 365 gives you some stuff from premium and basic, but not everything, not the full suite. So you still don't get some of that right back and, and those other kind of things. Because typically when we do AD sync, um, one of the big drivers to that is being in Office 365. So there, there's a lot of um, confusion around what that can and can't do. Um, if you have a chance also, so one of the really cool things they showed off uh, in this demo with the latest Connect preview, um, there's additional wizards inside of that tooling based on your specific scenario. So uh, one of the big things is uh, if you're going to do SSO or, or some kind of federation and you need to deploy ADFS, uh, that can be a, a time-consuming process to, to walk through and figure all those bits and pieces out. So as long as you already have your uh, SSL certificate for uh, ADFS and whatever that public endpoint is going to be, like fs.contoso.com, um, when you're walking through that wizard, it's dynamic. So there's a little bit of a checkbox in there that says, uh, yeah, I'd love to deploy an ADFS farm. So if you check off that checkbox, it lets you go out and actually um, authenticate against existing servers that are already provisioned someplace out in your infrastructure. And it will deploy a full ADFS farm for you. It'll do uh, the federation server and the federation proxy um, and, and, and WAP and all those things that it needs to do. And it also fires off the PowerShell uh, to do all the integration with your Office 365 tenancy and get, the, um, get your ADFS uh, server, that IDP, talking to the Office 365 Azure AD stuff um, so that everything can talk back and forth. So I, I know that was a big pain point for folks in the past. Um, I'm not too sure where it's gonna end up going. Um, just because the recommendation has kind of been if <laughs> if you don't need ADFS, let's not deploy ADFS because it's 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 a lot of kit to stand up and then maintain. Really, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world to to have to stand it up as long as you've done it once or twice and you know what you're doing. But maintaining it over time and everything can be really hard. So uh, I'm kind of torn on that decision to to put it in there, but it is super cool functionality uh, to watch it uh, go ahead and run through and do the things that it needs to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. To me, that almost seems like it's getting rid of our jobs, but uh, hey, I'll take it.
Um, <laughs> it's not going to get rid of our jobs. You know, everybody in that session, the 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 ID, identity geeks who had done ADFS before, they're they're all grumbling in the back, like, oh, you, you know, ADFS is easy. And um, from my perspective, uh, ADFS is easy enough to stand up if you've done it before. If you've never done it before, um, it's 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 a lot to learn and a lot to take on. Um, but standing it up is only part of it, right? Once we do things and we tie something like ADFS into Office 365 or Azure AD, that on-premises system now becomes part of that external system. So we've got to be mindful of service availability and we probably want to have some kind of SLA. And now we need to patch all those servers. Uh, how do we control access? How are we going to handle certificate rollover in ADFS? Um, you know, a bunch of the, the technical things that come along with that, that somebody who just clicks a little checkbox and says, yeah, give me an ADFS farm, um, they're not going to think about those things or uh, even know that they're coming. Well, yeah, that's, I don't know. I think uh, you hit it right on the head right there. They're not going to know what's coming. And if, if they are not seasoned, if they have not done this from the past couple of years and know some of the things they have to be looking for, then... Uh, they're going to be in a world of hurt um, when they're trying to do this uh, different work with our friendly Mr. ADFS and all of the different pieces of Identity Federation. But Yeah, I, and the stuff becomes really important and you have to understand um, what both systems are doing and, and how they work together as we start to attach uh, cloud systems to our on-premises ones uh, and, and we really do get into these kind of um, hybrid scenarios. So uh, I don't know if you saw uh, the other day that Office 365 MDM uh, just kind of came out and, and was GA'd. So this is kind of um, Intune MDM Lite. So it does devices. Um, it does some conditional access policies and things like that, but it does not do... Uh, some of the other things that uh, full-blown Intune would do and, and that additional subscription. So it doesn't do um, PCs and some of those other things. Uh, but all those bits and pieces rely on a piece of functionality uh, inside of Azure Active Directory, uh, which is the, the ability to do uh, workplace join. So if we're going to do a device registration, uh, we need to have workplace join on, and then that kind of lets everything bleed through. So uh, in the past um, and today, uh, workplace join was something uh, that was part of the Azure AD premium SKU. Um, so now this is going to be something, this is another one of those kind of bleed over between an Office 365 SKU. And it's not just the E SKUs, it's, it's also like the small business SKUs and things like that are going to have access to this functionality. Um, so if you have an Office 365 subscription, you're basically going to have Azure AD with workplace join and be able to do um, this MDM functionality for no additional cost. It's going to be part of uh, your existing subscriptions rolling out over the next couple of weeks, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, but as part of that uh, workplace join stuff, now we get uh, DRS uh, uh, has fully GA'd in Azure Active Directory, so uh, device registration service. Um, so I was reading through some of the documentation for this. We have uh, customers that ask about it. Um, and one of the interesting things in there is uh, uh, if you do DRS uh, and, you've, uh, and you want to do it in Azure AD um, and, you t and you tie it back to on-premises and you're doing like federated identity with ADFS and things like that, typically you might already have that service turned on there. So once you do that and you go to the cloud route, um, you've actually got to disable like your DRS on-premises because now Azure AD 
um, handles all of it and starts to become uh, kind of the, the, the one source for all, all that information um, and, the, and the registrations and everything that comes along with it. So uh, I thought that one was pretty cool and uh, pretty interesting. I can see a ton of uses for that uh, uh, just MDM light kind of uh, scenario that that, um, uh, that that Office 365 MDM is going to bring along with it. Yeah, just a, a couple of those. I mean, it, it's very similar to a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a couple of months ago, Microsoft added the ability to do like the uh, password reset and whatnot for end users, and I'd have to have the premium SKU for Azure Active Directory. Um, which I think a lot of folks still don't realize is there, uh, maybe. Um, I don't know, you tell me. I, I, most folks that I talk to don't realize it's there and that it came through. But So this comes up in conversations with customers, and they go, hey, we saw this announcement on the Office blog, and it said that we can do password reset now. Um, unfortunately, uh, a, lo- a lot of people, when they consume this information and, and when Microsoft pushes it out, um, you know, they'll put a bold headline that says, hey, uh, you can do self-service password reset in, the, in um, Office 365 now. That's actually for cloud-only users. So that's not for users who are synced across DirSync or federated users. So if you're a small organization that doesn't have any on-premises infrastructure, you've never used DirSync or AD-Sync or that tooling, um, that's actually a really great service because it's there for free. If you want to do password right back with um, uh, with those uh, synced users, so anybody who's kind of dir synced across, um, you need Azure AD Premium for that. That's not included as part of your Office 365 subscription. Uh, one of the nice things is um, they're, they're making Azure AD Premium a little easier to buy. So in the past, it used to be that you had to go through volume licensing to get that. So that could be, um, uh, call it kind of an, an, an awkward transition for some organizations. If you're a small organization and you're all of a sudden going to the volume licensing center and trying to figure out um, kind of the EA wording and all those things and how do I pick up just 25 licenses for this thing, uh, that, that can be really hard. Um, but they also announced uh, that uh, CSPs, uh, cloud solution providers, so these are a specific type of uh, Microsoft partner uh, are going to have the ability to um, sell Azure AD premium subscriptions as well now. Um, I don't believe they mentioned basic in that announcement, which was kind of weird. Um, so you, you'll be able to start going out to other places to uh, get some of that stuff and make it a little easier. Um, un- unfortunately, it's not always clear what you get with Office 365 and what you get with Azure AD Premium and and kind of the blend between those. Um, so like you mentioned the, the group thing earlier, uh, groups are great. Uh, and there's this really neat functionality built into um, Azure AD right now uh, around dynamic groups. So uh, you're probably familiar uh, with, the, with this same kind of concept from SharePoint. So in SharePoint and UPA, Uh, We had audiences, so, uh, you know, there was this compilation in the process in the background. We could say users that match these attributes um, basically get tagged as users of a certain type. So we could say if if a user is in um, the HR uh, HR group, um, let's go ahead and put them in the HR audience, and then we could kind of mask and show content based on that. Um, So there's this functionality that's been introduced as a part of Azure AD Premium, 
uh, called dynamic groups where we can do the same kind of thing. Um, but the nice thing is these are actually security groups. Um, so uh, Victor Willen had a, had a great post on this about how to leverage this in um, SPO once you've gone ahead and configured a dynamic group. Um, but I think one of the things he kind of glossed over um, and that a lot of people forget is if you're using something like audiences uh, inside of SharePoint Online, um, that's really security through obscurity, right? We're, we're just kind of um, masking things uh, over the top. If you're using something like a security group, then that's an actual like ACL that's going on something. Um, so in the past, if we had an audience and we said, hey, hide this web part on a page, um, that didn't mean that people couldn't actually browse to the list in the background. Um, but now you're gonna have the ability, if you're in this premium skewing in Azure AD, to do uh, full-blown dynamic groups and actually have uh, security around those. And then because those are uh, AD groups, they, they can really apply to um, any service that's leveraging them uh, across the board. Quite a bit of fun, quite a bit of fun. Um, so one of the other kind of interesting things, and I don't know if you uh, saw this piece of it, but the MDM light, um, it really is just click, click, boom. Uh, it's nearly comical how easy it is to set that up. And I think to me, by the way, the one thing that I'm, I'm seeing through all this that's going to come in handy is the ability to remove non-compliant devices, um, which I, I don't know about you. That's, again, one of those things that just uh, I think it'll be helpful and hopefully folks will start using make use of it. Yeah. So the thing to remember with this offering is that it's not it's not fully baked. It's not it's. it's well, it, it's baked, right? It's it's been released, it's been GA'd, it's going to start showing up in tenants and and all that good stuff. So, once you have this functionality, it's going to be there, but it's it's not in tune. So there's, um, it, it, they they had a really nice graphic at the, at the summit about this. I, I haven't seen it um, out and about on TechNet or anything like that. If if I do, I'll put a link to it. Um, but it really it's going to fill this uh, nice gap for the uh, BYOD where we don't need the company portal stuff. So um, if you're familiar with Intune, we have access to the company portal. Let's upload our managed apps and all those things like that. Um, this doesn't give us that, but it does give us, like you said, the, the conditional access stuff. Um, and, and to me, like the conditional access uh, pieces are, are, are really great because they make BYOD uh, quite a bit friendlier for uh, your end users, right? So in the past, if I went on to something like my iOS device and I hooked that up with ActiveSync, so I went into um, my actual settings and boom, 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 said, hey, I want to hook this up to Exchange. Um, depending on your organization and how they manage those things, uh, you know, they, they have the ability to do uh, remote wipes and things like that, right? So uh, there, there have been times and stories where people leave a company and um, somebody issues a remote wipe and then all of a sudden your personal device is fully wiped out. Um, so with some of this conditional access stuff, um, this actually starts to bring it down to the app level. So like on my, um, like on my iPhone, uh, I don't hook up my corporate exchange um, uh, into the device itself. I just do it all through the Outlook app. So it's segmented. It's, it's off in that app. And that way, if uh, an administrator says, hey, we want to wipe your corporate data or we don't want to give you access to it anymore, um, it only gets rid of 
my corporate data and that section of, of, of stuff that's in there. Or what you can start to do is, I, th I think we talked about this maybe last week or the week before, um, things with apps like OneDrive for Business and, and that tooling, start to have conditional policies around that and say, okay, um, within the app itself, I only want to allow people to access it that have device passwords uh, and uh, you know they're not jailbroken. Um, and then like you said, when they're not compliant or if their device does fall out of compliance, um, that's great. Let's just say you can't access that data. That doesn't mean they can't access the rest of their device because that was their personal device that they brought with them. It just means that they can't get to that one piece and, and, and that one part. So um, that's just huge. Uh, like I mentioned, it's going to be there for everybody. It's GA8. It's, there's, there's no extra cost, anything like that. It's just built in um, to the existing skewing. And then the interesting thing is it's not just an e-skew thing. It's also applying to the uh, small business plans and, and or the, the business plans uh, that uh, exist kind of on the other side of the fence. That's a lot of, uh, in terms of, you know, those users, I think a lot of folks unfortunately forget that there are users that aren't uh, enterprise users, but I think that's me that mostly forgets that, that uh, organizations are smaller than 250 people. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what's the saying? Friends don't let friends buy anything other than an ESKU, right? Pretty much. Um, so a couple other little uh, little things to kind of bring to mind or bring to note while we're in the Office 365 world. Um, saw this uh, pop up. Uh, maybe you can explain this because you were at the Office 365 Summit. Uh, but quote unquote Outlook connectivity with Mappy over HTTP and Office 365. Um, I could have sworn a couple years ago they were trying to get rid of Mappy support in all for Exchange. So this just kind of seems odd to me that they are adding Mappy back, especially over HTTP. Um, it maybe, I don't know, maybe it's that it's not directly Mappy to the server, but it's Mappy over HTTP. Is that kind of the deal? Uh, I have no idea what that one is. Actually, uh, you know, the biggest messaging that I saw around things uh, like Outlook and Exchange was that as the new ADAL libraries come into effect, so we've got that whole new Azure Active Directory authentication library thing, um, and that's going to allow SAML 2.0 auth and, and um, let us get around to passive auth for Office clients and things like that. Um, one of the other big things that that brings with it is it actually brings SSO for Outlook, right? So uh, Outlook, as it stands, only does the basic auth thing, and it kind of stinks. Um, so once that new version of Outlook comes out with ADAL support, um, that brings along with it uh, true support in Outlook for SSO and some other stuff. So I'm not too familiar with the Mappy thing. Um, you know, maybe we'd throw a link to it in the notes and see if anybody else knows what's going on with it. Yeah, I think uh, Mappy support was something they were trying to phase out with Exchange 2013. Um, but I'm going to guess that they found perhaps Mappy over another transport was the way to go. Because uh, a lot of the things with Exchange 2013, um, I want to say all that was with the idea of the Exchange Web Services. So maybe it's, uh, maybe it's changing things up to kind of go back to the tried and true. Um, but that was something... At the summit, I think uh, there's probably a video out there since it sounds like uh, the three listeners didn't actually get a chance to check it out either. Um, outside of that, really not too much I've heard about going on in the Office 365 world. Uh, but it, good grief. Were you watching uh, how much stuff about Azure came out last week? 
Uh, so, so there was one really big thing, at least, that happened here locally in Australia. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, that was just uh, it was just announced yesterday. So um, they they talked in the past, and they mentioned this in the past that uh, with the introduction of the Azure DCs, uh, they came out like a month or two later and said, "Hey, we're going to have local uh, data centers in Australia as well." So as of uh, thirty one March twenty fifteen, uh, customers who provision new tenants who have billing addresses in Australia, New Zealand, or Fiji, uh, they will now be provisioned into uh, Australian data centers. Um, so this alleviates a lot of the uh, data sovereignty concerns um, that organizations might have here. Um, and it also allows them to start doing migrations of existing tenants. So uh, organizations that were previously hosted uh, in Singapore or Hong Kong are going to be uh, slid down this way uh, with a target time frame of September 2015. Um, so they're basically just going to do these big mass migrations and, and um, slide folks from one DC to another. Um, so that's all live as of yesterday. As of today, all of the uh, DNS should be updated. So if you're doing discovery against um, like Outlook and things like that, um, all the all that DNS locally should be updated to actually hit Australian endpoints. Uh, from what I've seen uh, from a couple of the PFEs and support folks out there that are local to Australia, um, uh, they were saying that latency was uh, you know like one seventh what it was going to something like Singapore, um, depending on where you were in the country. Uh, page load times have uh, increased by almost half. Uh, so there's going to be some real performance benefits to that um, on top of some of the other regulatory and compliance things that also uh, come along with being locally. Um, I kind of get made fun of because um, I point this out when I have conversations with folks. Um, one of the interesting things is uh, if you're hosted out of Australia, uh, you're actually going to be charged a bit more money. So due to the way uh, taxes and everything work here, um, they have to charge GST for, for goods and services offered here. So if you're an Australian customer with an Australian billing address and you're hosted um, out of Australia, you're going to be charged GST for those services. So that's going to tack on um, you know, 10% to everybody's bill um, based on what they already had. So if you were in Singapore and you weren't paying GST and you say, yes, please do go ahead and move me down to Australia, um, your bill could go up a little bit as part of that. So um, you know, again, I find it interesting just uh, being American and, and you don't hear about that too much about service staying the same and it gets moved and it gets more performant, um, but then it magically costs more for the same service and things like that. So kind of one of those costs of, of doing business in Oz and, and getting all those uh, little pieces and parts set up. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being a problem if I wanted to try and move all my stuff down to Oz, but I, I don't, yeah, interesting. Well, you wouldn't be able to do it because, uh, you know, unless you had a billing address here, right? Um, so I run into this problem quite a bit with Azure, uh, where I still, because of the way, uh, Azure is basically the same way. Um, because I don't have a local billing address uh, in, and they really don't know where, I, where I'm coming from with the U.S. credit card, things like that, um, they can only assume the U.S. I can't actually consume Azure services inside of Australia because of the billing thing. So I can deploy to Singapore, I can deploy to this uh, 17 out of the 19, uh, no, 18 out of the 19, no, yeah, 17 out of the 19 regions, right? 
because really nobody can get into the wall that's China. Um, and then Australia is actually walled off by itself too, just uh, because of the, the tax and the GST thing. Um, so it's just kind of the, the cost of uh, doing business down here. And, and, and again, the, the, the structure of the government and how they uh, put things out there. Bygones be bygones. I'm not moving my data to Australia, buddy. Um, so anyway, I, like I, I feel like we uh, we have no segue now back to the Azure world, so we'll just go bluntly there. Um, the uh, Office 365 stuff, definitely cool and interesting. The Azure stuff last week was kind of just a madhouse, it seemed like. I know a couple weeks ago we had the madhouse of the Convergence Conference and a lot of different announcements from all the different teams. Last week, on the other hand, seemed like the blog was just kind of like on fire. But uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, you can go out actually. Um, well, okay, two things. So there were a bunch of updates last week. A bunch of things got released. Um, probably one of the more favorite ones to me was the Azure VM OS drive limit was octupled. So it used to be 127 gig. Now it's just under a terabyte, um, which I really don't know why you'd ever need that much except for the Windows updates, but that should be fixed in Windows Server 2012 R2. So, um, but uh, there seemed to be a lot of new little things here and there. Um, watching the GitHub repo for Azure, at least in the past couple days, from a content perspective, it seems like a ton of stuff has been going on for HD Insight. Um, and sure enough, about three hours ago, uh, looks like we had a updated build pushed out for 0.8.16. So go fire up your web platform installer, pull down a new copy of the commandlets. Um, Last week, they also pushed out an update uh, to Azure SDK. So uh, instead of being just 2.5, it got updated to 2.5.1. Uh, but a couple of the things in the actual release, um, a lot of it is around Azure HD Insight for Linux, um, as well as some of the Azure Insights. So being able to see more of the... Uh, more of the auto-scaling rules and metrics to be able to have better improvements around that, as well as some of the different metric stuff for websites. Um, and since websites became web apps, well, yeah, there was that too. Um, but uh, a lot of stuff going on there. Check it out. The link is in the show notes for the web platform installer if you want to go grab that for 816. Um, anything for you, Scott, that kind of caught your eye from last week's announcements? I mean, really, to me... It just seemed like, uh, you know, the key thing was more that uh, that Azure VM size, though. Obviously, being more on the infrastructure service side, I kind of get giddy about that stuff. Um, I know Michael Washam, I was chatting with him last week, and he seemed to get giddy about, uh, I think it was the, uh, what was it, ability to do some of the backup management. Uh, I guess it was the Azure recovery, site recovery, um, being able to pull in from all sorts of different things. So Azure backup. <laughs> uh, it, this is actually really, really cool. Uh, and and uh, I'll make sure we have a link to this in the notes. So um, Azure backup now natively supports uh, Azure IaaS VMs. Uh, so now you get uh, some really, really <laughs> really neat functionality that in the past we didn't have natively just because of the way VHDs were stored in blob storage and things like that. Um, so now you get application level backup, right? So, uh, and, and, it, and it's a nice consistent backup. 
Um, so it does all its snaps the way that it needs to. It uh, doesn't require any shutdown of your uh, virtual machines, anything like that. Um, it provides, uh, they touted as providing application level consistency for Windows OSs. Um, and then because this is IaaS VMs, it also applies to Linux. Um, so you get down to uh, file system consistency there. Uh, the other nice thing is this is a fabric level backup. So uh, folks might hear us talk about um, you, you know Azure and, and, and the fabric. So it's, it's not cotton, it's not the fabric of our lives, but the fabric is what drives the whole backend of Azure. So because all this stuff is actually driven straight out of the backend, um, you can do agentless, agentless backups for uh, multiple VMs at the same time. Uh, you get a single pane of glass for management of this, right? So there's this single centralized place uh, that you're going to go to in the Azure portal to look at this. Um, and then you also get some reporting out of there around uh, what's going on with my jobs, where are they backed, uh, uh, where are they at, did they succeed, did they fail, um, things like that. And then because it's driven out of the fabric, they also introduce some things where we can do um, policy level backup and then also retention policies based on that. So let's go ahead and configure a scheduled backup. Um, that'll automatically uh, manage recovery points uh, within my Azure Backup Vault. And then I can say, go ahead and retain backup, uh, retain my backups in the vault. So like if I delete a VM, uh, I can just go recover that um, out of the backup and things like that. So in the past, this was a huge, huge blocker for some organizations. Um, because to do things like uh, a snapshot in Azure storage, we could do things like that through PowerShell and through the storage SDKs and things like that. Uh, but it wasn't really supported. So you were kind of marching down this path of, oh, I'm doing something, I'm rolling a solution on my own. Um, so now it's all just uh, built straight in there. So you, you get a single consolidated backup vault. Um, you can actually go ahead and basically... Um, user recovery points as snapshots. So you can restore from uh, any existing recovery point um, within the, the backup chain for that, right? So we've got that VM image stuff with snapshots, but this actually lets us start to do this for um, production level kind of things. And then the really cool thing is uh, you can restore your VMs to um, existing cloud services. So like if you want to take a step back in time and overwrite, great, let's go ahead and do that. Or um, you can actually deploy into brand new uh, cloud services. So if you deploy into a new cloud service, um, that lets you uh, go ahead and designate a new virtual network, um, which would then give you new subnets and things like that. So if you think about um, duplicating environments, like, hey, I, I have this production issue, um, but I need to test it and play around with some things. Great. Let's just take your VMs, go ahead and um, generate some recovery points for them. And we'll go ahead and push them over to this isolated environment over here, right? And because it's all software-defined networking and everything else, it's nice, it's quick, it's easy. And then because we're only paying by the minute, as soon as we're done with it, we can burn it down, um, take any knowledge we've learned, apply it back to whatever uh, environment it needs to go into. Um, I'd be like, you know, if anybody's doing IaaS in Azure, um, I'd, I'd be really bullish of this because it's really, really, really neat functionality. Uh, I can understand why, why, why Michael was excited about it because uh, it fills just a, a huge gap for a lot of customers um, and it just makes things 
quite a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, I think the other the other thing that he was excited about though was that uh, <clears throat> other article that popped up um, also kind of in that storage recovery world. Uh, I guess it was titled "Announcing the Preview of Disaster Recovery for VMware Virtual Machines and and Physical Servers." So it's one of those things where that uh, that site recovery component was available that uh, you would go put an agent on a box and you know it would occasionally go back and do those uh, those backups for you for your on-premise systems up into the cloud. But the fact that it also supports that VMware piece now just I don't know. That's kind of like, hey, uh, we don't really care what you've got. We'll take your stuff and host it up in the cloud for you so you'll never go down. So that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, they're they're going in some interesting directions with that and being able to kind of ship machines in and out and uh, uh, get things to where they need to be. So I, I know you mentioned the uh, larger uh, disk sizes for OS disks, uh, so, so, that, so that terabyte limit. Um, you, you know, you're still going to be defaulted to the 130 unless you're creating a custom disk and things like that through PowerShell or whatever, spinning up a new VM. Um, but for a lot of organizations, that just allows you to pull over, um, you know, that, that VM that you had that had a uh, 300 gig OS drive. Um, hey, great. Uh, we don't need to do any uh, kind of massaging that to get it up. We can just go ahead and uh, either upload it or push it over to USB drive, use import export service uh, and get it up to the cloud where it needs to be. So uh, some really, really, really interesting stuff around there. Um, they also pulled out some uh, partnerships with companies like Cisco. Um, so they announced some stuff with uh, Cisco API, which is their application centric uh, infrastructure stuff. Um, so they're going to have a new partnership with them uh, going around, going on there. So I think that was a Mary J. Foley thing. Uh, she was talking about um, all sorts of just uh, fun, fun <laughs> uh, stuff going on out there. Uh, and like you said, this is all on top of and uh, above and beyond the uh, web apps offering and logic apps and API apps and all that other stuff that came out last week. So... As if uh, they didn't want to make things even crazier, um, there was also something today, a little bit, a little while ago, about uh, uh, what was it? Oh, that's right. Um, we're not going to have MSDM uh, Premium and MSDN Ultimate anymore. We're going to have MSDN Enterprise. Yeah, so just to make things a little more confusing from a licensing skew perspective, we got this other great little thing to uh, make some people really happy because if they already had their premium license, it just automatically gets upgraded at no cost and probably hacks off some other people because they were just about to buy a license. And for the next couple months, yeah, they can get it at a discount, but going forward, instead of being whatever price it was, it's going to be something around, I don't know, five grand or so for the initial buy-in so yeah so so the pricing thing's interesting right so most people buy that um ultimate skewing and things like that through uh volume licensing uh so when they when they announced all this stuff so uh they said that the price of visual studio enterprise with msdn um is going to be about 43 percent lower than visual studio ultimate with msdn uh but it's also going to be priced 25% higher 
than Visual Studio Premium. So if you were already doing Visual Studio Premium uh, and you want to remain in that same SKU set or that same kind of functionality because uh, you want some of the ALM tooling and other things that exist in there, you, you're going to pay a little bit more for it. It's, it's not a full-on freebie. Um, and one of the other things that they didn't uh, push and uh, talk about in that piece uh, was there's a bunch of other additional um, add-ons that are included with your uh, MSDN license, right? Uh, so you have things like, uh, like your Azure service credit. Um, so, so those are pretty different, right? Like your pro credit and uh, your, your premium and your ultimate, those were all different uh, credit levels before. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what this does over time to things uh, like Azure service credits. Um, does it maybe change some things with the Office 365 uh, developer skewing and things like that? Um, I know from a tooling perspective, I saw some folks wondering, you know, like what's going to be included with each one. Um, so no matter what edition you're in, uh, you're still going to have uh, like the Office 365 tooling uh, baked into it. So uh, I know that team's happy to get all that stuff out the door. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is uh, like even though they've said, hey, we've simplified the lineup, we've consolidated things, we're down to just three SKUs now. It's really not because uh, all the Express editions are still going to be out there um, because they have to accommodate folks that can't fit into that community license. Um, but they still want people to be able to develop on the platform, right? Um, and then there's all the uh, four test editions as well. Um, so it's an interesting blog post. It'll be nice to have that um, kind of consolidated down, but it's not as big a consolidation, I think, as they made it out to be. It's definitely a simplification, and simplification is always great because I know within some of these teams and kind of how they operate, like getting that behemoth and to, to move and change direction can be hard. Um, so hopefully they can keep the ball rolling on that and uh, maybe simplify some of that other stuff along the way uh, before they get, before they get out of the final bits and pieces. A little bit of the real-time follow-up. You mentioned the Azure credits. Um, the Enterprise MSDN Azure credits will be $150, so they're not taking anything away from the Ultimate license. And so that means any of those folks that have the premium license, they get that extra $50 on top of the $100 they were accustomed to, so they can burn through some more cycles. Good stuff. Well, that'll be nice. Yeah. I, I You know, I meet a lot of developers that don't take advantage of that. They go like, really? I have, uh, I, I have what? <laughs> I, I get free money? Yeah, you get free money. You should, um, you should really take advantage of those things. So I think we got a couple last items here, some of the things going on. Um, the one thing that uh, I'll go ahead and throw out there that's sort of Office 365 Azure-y, um, I don't know if you noticed, but the Ignite conference is sold out. Um, they have a couple, I think it's uh, Monday and Friday are kind of the keynotes, or not the keynotes, but the pre and post con stuff. So those are like a $500 pass or a $1,000 pass. I'm not really certain what. Um, and then the daily passes, apparently Tuesday is sold out. So if you want to go to Ignite, you can go get an Expo Pass for like 300 bucks, or you can get a daily pass for 500 bucks for Wednesday and Thursday. You um, can just wait until the day later and see everything come out on Channel 9. Um, I, you know, I, I know a lot of the folks that I talk to out here, um, it's it's been tough with with the conference season and um 
you know, I know making the trip from Australia to the U.S. is hard, and with the way that Microsoft releases information these days, um, I know from uh, talking to other consultants and partners and things, uh, you know, we're kind of of the mindset of, well, let's save our money, um, stay here, service our clients a little bit better, uh, and maybe just take a day off or, or take a couple days off right around then and just consume all the content as it comes out. Uh, on Channel 9 or, or blogs or uh, other channels, things like that. Um, I know going through Summit this past week, um, especially in some of the developer tracks, you know, the, uh, the presenters did a great job, um, but they also always had to say, all right, so we, we've got to caveat this with uh, this is the way it works today. Um, you know, keep, keep, keep your ear to the ground because build is next month. Um, and then we have an Ignite after that. So uh, it sounds like they have some uh, nice, exciting things coming out uh, for developer tooling uh, at Build and then uh, some more to tie in on the API side and things at Ignite um, as they start to announce some of the VNext services, right? So we've got the 2016 server products and um, all those things coming down. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, <clears throat> during the week of Ignite, I will... Be hanging out, uh, sipping on Dogfish 120, and just watching videos like crazy, and probably avoiding Twitter. So, so it goes. Yeah. Yeah, such, such is life. I mean, uh, you know, boohoo. <laughs> We're not going. Next, next year. There's always next year. Yep, yep. Very, very true. Very, very true. Um, so the last couple things, um, Skype for business, I think this one just kind of cracked me up where all of a sudden they're talking about Skype for business will offer telephone numbers to office 365 users available in preview this summer. Um, great link online could do this with E4 SKUs and with, uh, third party tools that Microsoft sort of supported until they didn't. So <laughs> So, so that's kind of the key point, right? They sort of support it until they didn't. So uh, E4 used to be pretty good until Microsoft came along and kneecapped it. So hopefully this is Microsoft. Uh, you know, it seems like a bit of a mea culpa, right? Let's, let's, uh, let's take uh, that E4 skew back in, uh, put it under the knife, and, and see if we can provide some, uh, some real value to it. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of organizations that are going to be excited about that uh, because Microsoft really did kind of screw up uh, the messaging and, and kind of the way they handled that, that E4 when they got rid of some of the services that were in there and things. Um, so it's kind of been just hanging out there. Nobody's really known what's going, what was going to happen to it. Now we have Skype for Business. We know that we're going to be getting uh, landline numbers with it and, and the functionality that comes along with that. Uh, so I, you know that that that's another way to to differentiate for them and um, get that skewing back into the mix, uh, which will be nice because uh, you know it does make for uh, it does make for a good sell and it is functionality that organizations do need. Yeah, I know. I mean, as a small business, uh, I will say that there were a lot of folks that said, "Oh, great, E4, it supports uh, voice, like real voice, like I can make phone calls," and then. When I can't remember the name of the company, I know Andrew Connell and a couple other folks were livid that they got like a note on July 31st and then August 1st, the service was dead. Um, yeah, whatever that was. But I think this will be 
pretty big to those companies that don't run their own PBXs and don't have link servers on premise or on premises, excuse me. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to port my Skype number over to Skype for business and use it as a part of my office 365. The one thing I really hope they add is the ability to actually receive SMS and not just send SMS. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be nice. They, they didn't say that. Any, anything about receiving SMS? I, they always, any, any little blog post I ever find that talks about uh, Skype um, and SMS is always the ability to send SMS. And I'm like, well, that's great, but that doesn't really do me any good if I can't get a note back from anybody. Uh, you know, it's probably outbound all goes through Twilio or something like that. Yeah, probably. Um, so just to kind of wrap up a couple last things. Uh, Microsoft apps being loaded onto Android. This, uh, this is pretty darn cool. Um, I think it's it, this kind of like you said, uh, Microsoft is starting to go down the path of some interesting partnerships, some interesting relationships. And really, yeah, that's great that they're they're still pushing ahead with Windows and Windows 10 and Windows Server and Azure and kind of the platform side of things. But they definitely do not seem like the Microsoft that Bill Gates and uh, all the other folks used to, you know, operate with Hey, we're Windows. We run our platform. We run our software. They're definitely all about uh, preloading all the other apps that they can onto the Android, uh, you know, its ecosystem as possible. Uh, I know that a lot of the folks in the Office 365 world are excited about this. Um, I think it's pretty cool to see happening because I know kind of the de facto default has always been. Uh, kind of the Gmail app on Android devices or K9 or uh, I guess what is it, NitroDesk, which is now owned by Symantec, um, their touchdown app for mail stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be good to see some of that stuff go out there, especially as it um, kind of gets out of the, the beta phases. So uh, we've still got all the office stuff sitting in, um, that that kind of beta phase for Android tablets, and um, it, it'll be nice to have that stuff come through. So um, Office for Android, uh, and then some of the Outlook tooling and and other things. Um, Android seems like a great place for them to experiment and push things through. The the platforms um, far larger than uh, Windows Mobile, so so they they get a lot more people to test it. Uh, and push things around and, and see what they can do there. So, um, you know, I, I have conversations occasionally with uh, clients around this stuff of how do we connect our, our, our devices back to our data and, and what does that look like? So I think the more devices that this goes on, uh, this certainly helps bleed into some of those other services, right? So I can see them asking, uh, okay, great, uh, we've got Office. So now how do we start to um, protect some of our corporate data. Oh, by the way, did you know your Office 365 account does MDM now? So let's go ahead and do device registrations and turn that stuff on. Um, so I, I can certainly see the the, the buildup and the, and the sell part of it there. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, like I said, it's it's a different world that we live in. It's not uh, it's not what we used to have where it was. You are you want to use Microsoft Office? Great, get a Windows phone or get a Windows tablet or something like that. It's oh, you want to use Microsoft Office? No problem. You can use your Android device. You can use uh, whatever you want. It's probably going to work better, maybe, on a Windows device. But 
who cares? I mean, we see like Sunrise, that app was big on iOS and Android, and all of a sudden we have it, and Microsoft owns it, and they're making all these other plugins available for it. And we see things like uh, uh, Accompli and Epicom's Outlook on mobile, and everybody's just, uh, you know, jabbering, oh, how did Microsoft create this wonderful app and nobody knew about it? Well, they bought it and rebranded it, but, you know, eh, nobody had to know about that. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of these uh, things out there that are definitely starting to make some headway and starting to make for a really cohesive story about using uh, Microsoft-based services. Yeah, I mean, it sh- should be fun times, right? Uh, you know, talking to uh, the product managers and things that, that come out to events like Summit, um, you can certainly see that they are much more excited uh, than they have been in the past. You know, I, I think it was kind of easy to get beaten down by some of that stuff, um, especially with uh, you know people who walk in the room like us and just ask these esoteric questions. And when are you going to support this? When are you going to do this? We have people asking about this. And really today they can say, hey, we support it on everything. Uh, we're doing it on everything. We're marching along. Uh, seriously fast to let you, you know, we're, we're just on this freight train and, and we don't know when it's going to stop. Um, and even some of those teams seem to be driving each other a little bit, right? So, uh, you know, I, I would bet internally the office team would really love if they could release um, at the same cadence as somebody like Azure because, you know, the Azure groups out there are absolutely killing it um, and just pushing this stuff out. So, you know, if you think about it, if office could come out at that cadence, how much quicker um, it would be improving and you'd be getting new services and new functionality there. Um, and that kind of applies across everything, right? We talked about the, the new Windows 10 builds earlier. Um, th- those are out and about. And, uh, you know, it took them, what, 56, 57 days between builds last time. And I felt like I just installed the other build and here I am installing another one because um, now we've got Spartan and all this other new stuff to play with. So, Scott, this just in. There's a new Office uh set of functionality apparently they're on to the azure train i'm just kidding um, although it wouldn't surprise me if tomorrow morning we see a blog article pop up that has some phenomenal new capability but yeah it, it, it'll make all those desktop guys at your company happy right oh man 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 i, I tell you it cracks me up watching uh you know some of these old uh, plugins that folks have for outlook or for uh <clears throat> different office apps and we all uh we all just kind of scratch our heads in the office 365 world and we say hey uh you know you could you could write that as an app and port it over and probably monetize it a lot better because you'd have better license tracking because they'd have to go back and dial back to your server mm-hmm. oh well um yeah it's uh one of those things but uh we got anything else no i think that's about it um we can go ahead and uh, close it down and uh, maybe we'll banter a little bit. And if anybody wants to stick around, they can um, just because the one thing I do have to mention, because I know Tim Farrow is still listening. So uh, I went out and read uh, the private eye comic that he had talked about from panel syndicate. Uh, it was really great stuff. So um, I had no idea about these guys. So um, uh, one of the writers for that, Brian K. Vaughn, he, he writes uh, that saga comic that I talked about, which is also really awesome and still ongoing things like that um but the way the 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 model that they released these comics under was basically rather than doing like a kickstarter or something else um you know it's just an author and an artist they went out and did some panels and 
um, they put the stuff up on their website. So if you go to panelsyndicate.com and you say, uh, great, here's all these issues of uh, the private eye. Um, when you click the, uh, the, the buy button, uh, they're pretty much in like that, like donation where tip jar kind of mode. So you can choose your own price. So maybe you want to try out something like issue one and say, um, you know, I don't know anything about it. So I'm going to put zero. Um, and if you put zero, it just says download it now. And then you click that link and it gives you links to PDF, CBR, CBZs, like every single format, DRM free, loaded up in your favorite reader, uh, whatever, Bob's your uncle, you know, you're off to the races. Um, but then the really cool thing is, because maybe you read it and you do like it, um, you can always just go back to that site and say, uh, yeah, I'd like to buy it and uh, give them a little bit something so uh, that they can keep doing things like this and, and keep releasing things under this model. Uh, so there was uh, The Private Eye. So that comic was a uh, 10 comic series, um, just issues one through 10. Uh, and then it just, it, it's done. So it's nice. It's 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 got a uh, a good solid story and a good solid ending. Um, there's also a uh, making of uh, the private eye that's out there and available for download. Uh, so people can, uh, you know, go ahead and see kind of the original backstory and um, what they were thinking about going back and forth. Do we want to, um, A, do we want to go with this uh, model for selling our art and, and, and our work and what does that do to our livelihoods? Um, and then also how do we develop the story? How do we develop the panels? Things like that. So it's always nice to uh, see the background uh, on some of that stuff. And then apparently it's been working pretty well for them. Um, they brought another uh, comic over that they're also offering on the site called uh, Universe. Um, so that's under the same model. You just hit buy now. How much do you want to give? Zero dollars or more. Um, and, uh, you know, people can check that out as well. So uh, thanks to Tim for recommending that and, and putting it out there. I thought it was a great read, great story. Um, you know, it even had a zoom in it. So, you know, if that doesn't get people going, I don't know what will. Cool. Very cool, man. I, at some point may actually have to start checking out these, uh, these things you guys talk about. You know, they might be up in, uh, one of those folders or something, um, on the, on the, on the, on the cloud someplace. Uh, ah, good point. You can find anything up in the cloud these days. stick around feel free to enjoy some banter but otherwise uh we'll be cueing some music right oh, i'm gonna here cue the music way before that all you folks absolutely yeah really? yeah, yeah it's okay. gonna be like 10 seconds in and cue, we'll cue, cue. <laughs> yeah i was i was talking to somebody that uh blank space in there last week when i deleted like those 10 or 20 seconds or whatever and you know he's, he's going you told me you talked about the azure apps things yeah absolutely i talked about it talked about it for like 10, 15 minutes. He goes, no, 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 you didn't. I said, yes, I did. I go, did you hit the blank space in the podcast? And he said, yeah. I said, well, you got to keep going because the file was an hour and a half long or whatever. It wasn't an hour and a half of blank space. It was just, uh, I had edited that thing after I'd gotten home from a user group and you shouldn't edit podcasts after you've had a glass of wine and it's 1am. And some Skittles. Yeah, Skittles? No, I don't eat Skittles.
Uh, I guess that was the warden. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, it was one of those things that uh, I kind of chuckled about last week because I remember I was listening to it on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, Friday. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was like, huh, that's strange. Um, and I guess my guess is you just kind of you know you had something and you saw that there was some blank space and you accidentally press the delete key and yeah oh. you know well, garage band is hard it's not as easy as apple makes it out to be yeah that's true we could always pay somebody to edit them very very true very true we, we just have to go ask andrew who he's uh who he's using i think he uses somebody in romania uh, yeah. Something like that. He's he's they, they've mentioned it a couple times. Um, I actually like going through and, and doing the edits myself and things like that. It gives me a chance to um, play around with something different that's not PowerShell or SharePoint or Azure Office three sixty five something like that for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't argue with you. I think it's it's fun to kind of go toy with GarageBand. I guess my only curiosity is. Uh, when one of us will actually pull the trigger and pick up a copy of Audition. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That Creative Cloud stuff is, uh, the pricing's a little weird if you don't use all of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I went back I'll, and, I'll, I'll leave that to you. I went back and I was uh, scratching my head on it because I think, uh, as of right now at least, um, I think I'm paying like five extra bucks a month for Acrobat. Um, and I know you're going, you're paying for Acrobat. Yeah, I'm paying for Acrobat. Uh, they originally quoted it to me a year ago. So I've gone through and done my, my one year subscription and it was, uh, I think 20 bucks a month and they've knocked the price down to 15 bucks a month. So who knew? Now I just have to go back in and actually tell them, please drop the price on my actual subscription. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get around to that. Yeah, so some uh, some interesting news. Um, I guess it was an old article from last October, the pig in Australia stealing 18 beers from campers and getting drunk and fighting a cow. <laughs> did, you, uh, okay. did you happen to read that one? You gotta love this country, man. It's like the the crocodiles eat the sharks, and the pigs get drunk, and uh, there's there's stories of this stuff all over the place. Um, I, there, there's been uh, a couple of the, uh, the 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 pigs getting drunk and kind of doing their thing. Um, you know, I know when we went up to Cairns and we were doing our rainforest hike. Um, apparently the, the feral pigs are a huge problem up there. Um, so, you know, they, they've had all these species that are introduced and, um, they just run around and tear up the ground and everything. They're kind of like, um, the forest version of a, a, a city rat, I guess, um, with all their rooting and digging and things. So it doesn't surprise me that the pigs like to get drunk, um, get pissed, uh, you know, however you want to go about it. Well, I mean... Pig's gonna do what a pig's gonna do, but I think uh, a couple people on Twitter saw this article and they're like, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever!" And I thought it was—I could have sworn I had seen the article before, so I was going, "That looks familiar." And sure enough, it was from last October. But I think for them, it was a mix of 
gee, that title is ridiculously long. Um, but also the, gee, that just seems pure stupid. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Um, so you missed a fun time up in uh, Philly this past weekend with the uh, open days that they had for, I guess, the U.S. MVPs. Um, it's a good group of folks. Uh, so I was in Malvern, right? A lot, yeah. of, a lot of people came in and, yep, one of the so, MTCs. I think I saw yeah. some pictures of you guys standing in the server room doing the Dr. Evil thing. Yep, yep. Um, so that was actually the first time that I think I'd actually talked with Michelle Caldwell for more than a few minutes. And if Michelle's listening or anyone else is listening, uh, that's just how big our SharePoint community is, where you you know you meet someone on Twitter, so to speak, but you don't actually ever have any sort of conversation with them because the community is just that big. Um, until it's just a smaller group setting. So it was good to kind of get to, you know, chat with her a little bit. Uh, Reuven was down. Um, it was good to see Reuven. Uh, Doug Ware was up. So he had been up the entire week due to other family circumstances. And uh, I guess just kind of just decided, hey, if I'm already here, I might as well just stick around. So it was good to see him as well and catch up and hear about things going on down in Atlanta, both in the SharePoint world as well as the Atlanta Braves world, which, you know, the Atlanta Braves, is where it's at. Um, <clears throat> but uh, who else was up there? Uh, I think there were two folks from the SharePoint community that unfortunately weren't able to make it, but uh, hopefully uh, hopefully get to catch up with more of them later. Um, Jason Himmelstein was there. He uh, trekked down from New Hampshire, so it was good to catch up with him a bit and uh, just uh, you know goof off and whatnot. So the other the other treasure was probably um, the goodness of uh, Wawa. So I wish you guys had told me there was a Wawa standalone store just across the street. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. from the MTC. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, I know there's the one down by the... The Wegmans and whatnot? The, the, the Wegmans, yeah. I almost forgot yeah. the name of that magical place because we don't have grocery stores like Wegmans out here. Um, no choo-choo trains <laughs> driving around the top? Yeah. No, no, no choo-choo trains, no wine bars. Um, yeah, none, none of, actually, our grocery stores really don't have food in them. At least the one by my house seems to be out of stock of everything all the time. Um, yeah, it's the one across. I didn't know there was one across the street, but uh, yeah, I, I guess so, the more you know. Yeah, so it's a little one that uh, is just across the street that serves up, uh, uh, I mean, it's just a little store. It's not anything more than that. So I was, <laughs> I kind of laughed, Jason's like, oh yeah, it's right over here. And it's like, what are you talking about? And sure enough, there's a little store right there. So yeah, so it was, uh, it was good to get up out, out of the area. It was good to hear um things going on uh but i don't know it, it was different it was different but it was it was good um it's good fun uh yeah i'd do it again <laughs> what you'd be an mvp again or you'd go to mvp open days uh you know at, at this moment i i don't know it's, it's a good question and you'd uh, be up for renewal soon right yeah are, yeah so are you are you April one of the first I'm one of the April first kids, so we'll find out uh, tomorrow if I got renewed or not. And I don't know, so 
I will be honored if I am, and I'll be honored if I'm not. Uh, <laughs> that probably sounds strange to say, but go, uh, go, go check your uh, spam folder, huh? Um, yeah, yeah. But I think those typically don't start sending out until like 7 a.m. Pacific time, something like that. So we'll uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow, and who knows? Maybe. Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe it went well. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I will say I'm a little bummed not to go out to Ignite. Uh, I had been going back and forth with a few people about different ways to get there um, from a covering the conference perspective. So when they announced the uh, that it was closed, I think the only way I could potentially uh, get in at this point is to work at the event through some fashion, but I'm not even certain how I could, uh, how I could work that out at this point. So, uh, yeah, figure it out. Code. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's like, could I get a discount code? Could I get a pass? Could I, you know, what's the means to get in? But if the little link on the page now just says registration, you know, closed it's one of those oh oh, okay but uh so um i don't know if you noticed or not but you are up to be nominated for one of the top office 365 influencers for 2015 yeah i got an email about that (laughs) should should i go Um, ahead and nominate you yeah go for it i'd i'd be interested to see uh where i end up um do you know what the website for that is scott uh, I will put it in the show notes because it's really weird. It's like scratchmm.com slash nominations. Okay. So, yeah, those are the same guys that did this uh, it's, it's last the, year. Is it the Har- It's the Harmony guys, right? Uh, I, so, I don't know if it's the Harmony guys or if it's uh, who it is. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a little different. Um, yeah. Either way, I, I always love these things. So some of the people on the list, you know, you go like, yeah, I, I get that. And then some others you go, huh? <laughs> what? No, not that. So, so I wonder if they realize Dave Coleman passed away. Oh, is he on the list? That's kind of he's a big He's below me and he's in between me and ducks. Ooh, yeah. Nope, that's not going to go over too well. Yeah. Wow. That's... Mm. Um, but yeah, the scratchmm.com slash nominations, that's that's out there. Um, yeah, they, they sent me a note and just said, hey, uh, it's open, it's available, go check it out. So I don't know how you actually nominate someone. Uh, you got to like hover uh, over their name and it's a... Is that what it is? You you hover over their name, okay? Yeah, yeah, you hover, and then a little form comes up. You got to be in the right browser. Don't do it in Spartan. Uh, well, I'm in a. Huh. So I see they've got like a follow button. They've got a LinkedIn. They've got my name. They've got my position and all that jazz. Uh, so there, there should be a, just a form hanging out. Oh, like a, yeah, 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 I see yeah. that. Yep. 
Yeah, nominate your three influencers. So I think I'm going to nominate Garfield, Mickey Mouse, and Dan Usher. Love it. Love it. Uh, neat. That's different. Huh. Weird. Um, yeah, so the uh, the open storage thing for Microsoft, I didn't realize well, i guess i saw that article um on ours but i didn't uh didn't take too note too much note to it so i guess they just went through and they said hey we're going to add in this additional uh battery is that kind of the deal uh yeah so so they've got uh the open compute project right where they where they publish their uh open server designs all over the place um so this is just another kind of modification to one of those designs. So uh, let's go ahead and include batteries in everything. So, um, you know, this kind of cuts down on uh, UPS space and some other stuff that's going on. Um, so these are the, the, what are they? They're like 12U chassis. Um, yeah. And then they're, they're, there's blades, right? Uh, but then they're all custom and just go ahead and slice and dice them and uh, uh, put them in and, and see what they can do along the way. Um, so Microsoft had some stuff out and then uh, Facebook, um, they had some stuff that came out of their open compute side that uh, said this, this wedge switch thing. Um, HP was out there. They're going to have some um ocs compliant servers coming out uh along the way and then you've still got all the private stuff that you can go about right you can go out and buy like cps from microsoft or things like that hmm. i guess uh yeah that's that's uh, crazy crazy neat um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, uh, curious still kind of what your thoughts are on the good old MacBook uh, 12-inch. If you're actually going to go out and try and get that or... Waiting for the reviews. Um, I want to I, I see what that sucker does. I still have to go out and watch all the... Um, surface stuff because really I, di I did I thought that was an um, April Fool's joke uh, for Australia <laughs> every year Microsoft does something like this you know just uh, can't seem to hit it out of the park um, they could have waited till April 2nd to lift the embargoes but um, no which I bet the tech vlogs have a blast with that when you know they get the review unit Microsoft says okay your, your embargo date is uh, you know April 1st March 31st that kind of thing yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know. I, I would like to see um, something, not necessarily about the Surface 3, but the, the MacBook 12-inch. Uh, uh, I'd be more interested in just, you know, seeing what uh, how it really performs. I know most of the articles I've read, similar probably to you, have all just kind of been like, well, it's nice, but uh, doesn't quite meet all the expectations we'd had so yeah i mean you're not gonna be doing handbrake encodes on it right <laughs> uh it would probably melt the the chassis or uh, the case before it did anything uh, but oh, they'll, they'll they'll certainly have their place it's uh 
eventually, you know, you could probably see this like subsisting the, the MacBook Air line. So maybe when they come down in price or, or things like that. Um, I did see, uh, so they have that new Force Touch trackpad. Have you had a chance to go to an Apple store and play with one of these yet? Uh, I haven't. I should go do that tomorrow, though. So absolutely you should, because they are mind-boggling. So if you shut the computer down um, and it has no power, and you sit there and you click your button against the pad, and you're like, um, darn it, doesn't do anything. Um, so when you turn it on and, and it's up and running, um, if you're not paying attention and, and you're just kind of browsing and clicking and doing things the way you probably do on your um, Mac today, uh, sure. it feels just like you clicked, except having to, like you can do it from any corner. So you can go to the upper left-hand corner of your trackpad and um, just click your finger down. So it's actually quite a bit smoother, right? It's still that same nice glass, like frictionless, like just the amount of um, friction that you'd want to move your finger across it. Apple's always nailed that stuff. Um, but now you really don't even need to worry about your, where your finger is to, to do the clicks and everything. So um, it's definitely super neat. Um, so go check it out on one of the 13-inch uh, uh, MacBook Pros um, that are running out around there because it's just uh, it's mind-boggling how, how crazy it is. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. I guess the uh, the one thing that I've kind of been listening to, and I know you kind of got me addicted to this, was the ATP uh, Accidental Tech Podcast. and. They had uh, been going back and forth about some of the rumors about the 15-inch when those will come out and whether or not they'll have a seaport, whether or not they'll use Skylake instead of Broadwell. Um, I don't know. I, I have definitely been looking at, like, uh, gazelle.com and, you know, figuring out, do I want to sell back the 15-inch the MacBook Pro and the 13-inch MacBook Air? And trade them in for a 13-inch MacBook Pro to get Force Touch and get the four channels for SSD instead of the two channels that it currently has and get Thunderbolt 2 and all that other goodness. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm torn. And especially, you know, if the 15 inches are going to come out and have Skylake or something like that, then it's kind of the, huh, yeah, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should wait. So, so I, I mean, at this point, you might as well wait till June, right? Right yeah. around the corner. Um, yep. Wait until WWDC and whatever pops out of that. Um, if Skylake's not ready, uh, it, it'll be Broadwell for you know another six months or whatever until they can um, rev it into the next big announcement. Um, sounds like Skylake in general has some other trouble going on with the fab process and everything else. Uh, so you know they've got all the new Core M ULV, not ULV chips, and some of that stuff coming down the pipe. But um, Broadwell's got its place and. If they release uh, Broadwell, the USB-C stuff, and the Force Touch, and that, that'll be pretty cool. Because um, you can do some other things with that Force Touch trackpad as well. I don't know if you saw, um, uh, there's a company out there, Inkwell. Um, but they made, uh, they, they basically take the Force Touch trackpad and they can turn it into um, like the equivalent of like a Wacom tablet. Uh, or a Wacom tablet, right? Because you have the pressure sensitivity in there. Um, so you can actually uh, draw with um, uh, with a stylus, uh, but on your trackpad, and then it picks up the, uh, the, the pressure sensitivity of what you're doing. So uh, that's definitely pretty cool, too. I, uh, hmm. 
I don't know. I'm amazed by the technology as it continues to push out. Uh, I guess we'll see. But hmm. yeah, it'll um, get there someday. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned you were having some fun times with uh, <clears throat> Office 2016 for Mac. Ah, it's broken. Don't use it. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I'm just... that about sums it up, right? I can't run OneDrive for business anymore because uh, it runs at, you know, how you go into Activity Monitor and they say things are running at like 130% CPU. Uh, yeah, it basically wants to melt my computer anytime it reboots. Um, it has to rebuild some uh, cache database every time it reboots. Uh, it, it's just been wonky and crashing. I, I had to go back and change all the defaults back. Um, just so I could work for with documents in Office 365 and SharePoint uh, to go back to Office 2011 because the uh, the 2016 stuff is broken. Um, they did integrate it into um, Office updates, so if the Office updater runs, um, you'll see like updates are coming out now for like 15.8.2 and and things like that. Really? Yep. Yep. Go ahead and run it. Should be in there. Huh. Okay. So if I go out to if I open Word and then go to the uh, help page or the help button, check for updates automatically, check for updates now, checking. Hey, look at that, 15.8.2. Yep. It's a out there. Whopping, in a whopping. Uh, it's like a gig of stuff. <laughs> it takes it's actually, a while. yeah, well, 324 meg, it's still a chunk. Um, what all is in there? Do they even say? They don't say. Nope, it's a recommended update. Uh, you know, go ahead. Wait, so, wait, so there's no, no, no. fifteen eight two for Outlook and. No, dude, it's it's for the entire Mac. It says uh, update provides targeted bug fixes for Microsoft Outlook, and then the bug fix that it has is fixes an issue with free busy availability of others may be shifted by an hour after the start of daylight savings time. Sounds like it's worth the three hundred meg download to me. Oh, that's that's ridiculous! Wow, but I mean that's like the, uh, the iOS apps where it'll be like, "Hey, we had bug fixes. We're not going to tell you what they were, and it'll be 250 megs each." Uh, thanks. So yeah, we'll get there ridiculous. someday. Ridiculous. All right, man. Any, you want to uh, button this up? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you know, I suppose. So yeah. I will. Uh, I guess I'll catch you next week. Uh, I think it's actually supposed to be nice out here next week. Keep yeah, saying go, that. Go ahead and throw it on the calendar, and uh, we'll make it happen. Sounds good. All right. Later, Dan. Bye.